1: Hi, I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and welcome to Just Something About Her from The Recount and iHeartRadio. On this podcast, I talk to powerful women about how they made it to the top on their own terms. Here to help me introduce this week's episode is my producer, Sari Soffer.
2: So this week's episode is all about knowing when to let go of an opportunity. And our guest is Brooke Baldwin, who was a former anchor on CNN for more than a decade and just left her job there a couple months ago. With no plans on record, just the notion that she is ready to be the bravest version of herself. And that means leaving.
1: Yeah, I have a sense of what she probably means there. But I definitely want to hear what that means for her. Because it is really hard for women to step away from things. We feel like we have limited opportunities. And so like once you have this perch, right, Mm -hmm. even if it's not entirely satisfactory, we're (laughs) loath to leave that. So this really is a bold move for her and a good model for other women who are fortunate enough to be able to make a difficult decision like this.
2: Definitely. And the decision coincided with the release of her first book, which is called Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power, where she interviewed women leaders around the country about how they get through it by leaning on one another.
1: Yes, lean on. That is a Hillary Clinton special. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also want to ask Brooke about this transformation that I feel like I've seen her go through, From where, you know, you first saw her and she was very sort of buttoned up, kind of anchor school, uh, traditional journalist to a much more raw, dare I say authentic (laughs) version of herself in recent years. And if that might have anything to do with why she loves CNN. So should we get to it? Let's do it. Brooke Baldwin, welcome to Just Something About Her. Jen,
0: it's so good to be on with you. From a vacation, mind you, so pardon the uh, relaxed look.
1: First of all, I love the no makeup Brooke Baldwin. It's so pretty. But like, we have to tell everyone, I have my High Women sweatshirt on and you have your Stevie Nicks. And I'm
0: rocking my Stevie Nicks.
1: We could just talk about music the entire time. I know, we had Brandi Carlisle, one of the High Women on our show last week and it was awesome. I'm
0: already geeking out because <laughs> I'm a giant High Women fan because the High Women album was the soundtrack to my writing, Huddle. And actually, little known fact is is that of all the women who I got to interview from my book, Brandy Carlisle was the one who got away.
1: Oh, really? Wow. She was. She is so tastic. Yeah. We should probably explain who the high women are because <laughs> I'm not sure that all of everyone listening is going to be as familiar as we are. And yeah. you describe them as huddle tastic. So why don't you t- t- tell us who the high women are and then what it means to be huddle tastic? This is a good way to get into your book.
0: Amanda Shires, Maren Morris, Brandi Carlisle and Natalie Hemby. So they are the high women and it's the take on the Chris Christopherson, Waylon Jennings, Johnny Cash. Yeah. Johnny Cash, the highway men. And we all know their music, but it's this notion of it's, it's, I say this all the time about using the word huddle, but it's this notion too of taking that word or taking that band name and flipping on its head and having women own it and feminizing it and giving it power. Yeah.
1: It is exactly the same concept. I love that the huddle
0: is like it is that can be for women too. Yeah, yeah. And Brandy mentions it in her book how Amanda, yeah. who's married to Jason Isbell, yeah. who went to Brandy backstage at some point, point. and the idea came from Amanda to like put together this like women country supergroup because there
1: are so few women who are played on country music stations. Yeah, I mean Amanda did research about this, and it was because I'm as dorky as you are on this like rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. 17 to one, male voices, women's voices, 17 to one. Right. They were going to play one woman. They were put in competition with each other. Yes. In the book that I wrote, the core concept was banish from your mind this notion that you are in competition with other women for a finite amount of success, because it is that belief, I believe, that keeps a lid on women really succeeding.
0: Totally agree. Totally agree. I think America loves the narrative of women being pitted against one another. And I think in writing my book, Huddle, I was like, I interviewed everyone from Ava DuVernay to Stacey Abrams to, you know, a bunch of Congresswomen to Moms man Action to, you know, women athletes to indigenous women's, you know, trying to save the planet. And the through line is exactly the opposite. You know, the women who are successful, they're successful because they lean on one another. They amplify one another because they're huddlers.
1: So so let's go back to you. Okay. so what at what point did you go to
0: CNN? I started at CNN in 2008. Mm-hmm. I worked in local from like 01 to 08. And all I wanted to do was be a correspondent at CNN. Great. And so I came down in 2008 and that was during the, the of course, the Great Recession. And and I remember the moment where I showed up in the talent, you know, head's office and they were excited to have me down. I was going to start as a freelancer. I was, it was a risky move, you know, but I was like, I had enough confidence in myself that I thought I could turn into a, into a job. But then I, I, I arrived ready to be a freelance correspondent. And they were like, yep, we love you, but sorry, recession, we're freezing all the jobs. And I had moved my whole life. Oh my and that's when I said, okay, at age 29, I am moving back into my childhood bedroom at my parents' house. And I'm going to see if I can make this work. But I was devastated. Yeah. I was devastated. And I basically became the person at CNN. Like they couldn't get rid of me. I just kept showing up. I wouldn't get paid. I'd show up and I'd sit in an office. I I would scribble my name on a post-it and pop it outside this office. I mean, it was basically a squatter. Yeah. And eventually, two years later, I got hired as a correspondent.
1: You freelanced for two years doing that kind of... We you know. were hustler. We had to hustle our asses off. And so
0: I hustled. I knew everyone in that building. I was like a Swiss army knife. I literally did like CNN Espanol. I did a doc for them. I did CNN International Overnight Anchoring. I don't know who I thought I was at 29.
1: You think you're so old at 29. Oh my gosh. I thought I was I very old. Bless us. I feel younger and younger the older I get because you're like, you realize I how love little that. you knew.
0: Yes. <laughs> It's still how little like I'm still, you know, you meet so many incredible people and I'm like, there's so much, so much more to know. So, yeah. So eventually, actually, it was I don't think CNN was going to put a ring on it until Roger Ailes saw me covering. I think it was the BP oil spill and he called me up and I had the whole Roger Ailes office situation, not not the situation he was. There was no twirling or anything involved in that. But basically he was, you know, I I have him honestly to thank in a weird way for me then going back to CNN and saying, all right, well, Roger Ailes thinks I could be doing this at Fox News. You know, there was a bigger opportunity for me at Fox, but I just wanted to, even if it was two minutes a day, I wanted to be a CNN correspondent.
1: I feel like what you're describing is kind of a vice that women have been in that I want to like help get us out of, which is you are able to stick around and, you know, get some kind of standing by being the one that they can count on to do anything. The Swiss army knife, as you describe, you're just mm-hmm. a freelancer. You don't care. You just want to prove yourself. That's just like the mm-hmm. chance, mm-hmm. but then you're taken advantage of, right. Then you're taken for granted. Yeah. And it wasn't until you went to Fox Fox came calling yeah. that CNN was like, Oh, we need to hire her. Yeah. That scrappiness, that makes us better. That makes us more valuable, right? Mm -hmm.
0: And Mm -hmm. we need to
1: figure out how you're not taking advantage for that, but paid what we're worth for that kind of skill.
0: Yes, but I think part of that is having women ah, in positions of power, and not go. just the lone woman who's been there early on with a bunch of the guys who has some occasions like ice running through her veins. So I think if we have more women and more diverse women in those positions of power, they then will recognize that that's not okay,
1: and that when you do spot that woman who's so scrappy and you know the utility infielder can do anything, all the sports metaphors. Yeah. You yep. recognize that as super valuable and you, you know, put her in charge. You right. don't say we don't need to worry about Brooke. She's just happy to be here. We don't need to worry about right. Jennifer. She's happy to be there. We need right. to worry. We need to pay Brooke what she's worth. And Brooke and Jennifer <laughs> have to fight for ourselves to say, like, we deserve more. Because if we don't, then the younger women are going to be on the same path. Yes, right. That's sort exactly. of what I had to realize was. If I don't fight for better titles or better money myself, that means Crystal Carson, Mm -hmm. who was my assistant at the White House and is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. That means Crystal's going to be like stuck where I am. You know, you got to be like projecting forward.
0: Leave it better than you found it.
1: Right. And I feel like you've been on that path. I mean, my initial impression of Brooke Baldwin Mm -hmm. when she first showed up at CNN was that she was a total pro, like an anchor in the very traditional sense. She was straight, she was fair, and professional. And then I felt that there was some sort of transformation over the past decade where you just started showing more of yourself Mm -hmm. and more frustration with what was going on around you. There was that great opinion piece you Mm. wrote in 2015 after the San Bernardino mass shooting called There's Been a Shooting Again. And then there was the ridiculous incident in 2017 when that Fox Sports commentator Clay Travis came on your show talking about boobs, and you just totally took control.
0: I'm a First Amendment absolutist. I believe in only two things completely: the First Amendment and boobs. And so once they made the decision that they were Wait, not going you to allow a you conservative, non-sports-related and- commentary, they Hi, couldn't. Hold do on, it hold I just want to make sure I heard you correctly as a woman anchoring the show. Did you say, what did you say? You yeah. believe in the First Amendment and BWBS? Boobs. This is done. Completely this is conversation awesome. over. Yanking mics. Uh, bye.
1: It's like more and more of you seem to keep breaking through in the past few years. Yes. Can you describe what that process was like and why?
0: Not to bring everything back to Brandy Carlile, but I'm about to for a second. It is what it is. I When I was reading her memoir and she was talking about being, you know, in her younger years as a singer. And I think she had a moment where somebody was saying she had some sort of affectation in her voice. Yeah, T-Bone and, Burnett
1: said she had an affectation in her voice.
0: Yes. And she was talking about how, you know, early on you think, okay, I'm supposed to mimic someone. So to take it into the journalism space, you dress a certain way, you speak a certain way, you put your face a certain way, Uh you color within the lines and you always want to be the good girl. Yes. And something happened for me. And I think, you know, anyone needs to go through those earlier years of figuring out yourself to then become the person that I have become where You know, you can just like call BS on something or push back on someone Mm -hmm. or yank someone's mic or, you know, just speak up or do a women's series like American Woman, which, you know, took some asking to be able to do. Those are all the things that really sort of, I think, had always mattered to me. Uh And more and more of me started showing up at that anchor desk every single day. And now I'm just like... Here's who I am.
1: This is also like Brandy because she talks about she doesn't have a coming out story. She like emerged. Yes. It was an emergence because it's not like I can say, oh, it was after... Trump got elected, that like the switch flipped and like Brooke Baldwin all of a sudden was like, you know, showing you different parts of herself. Mm -hmm. You know, this was like in 2015. This is like earlier. This is like sort of emerging. Yes. But just more confidence in yourself is like, I've been doing this job for a really long time. I'm good at it. Did you feel like the old way, the conventional way of doing journalism wasn't working anymore? Mm.
0: Not necessarily. I think I just knew that I I think the audience is smart and they know, know if you're putting on something. I think more and more people as we get through, you know, in the space of social media and being Instagram perfect. Like, I think in my mind, I was just like, F that. And I do think it really like jumped for me After I had COVID, when I had COVID last April and I was out, man, for a
1: couple of weeks. Yeah. I had a whole section of COVID questions for you because I had COVID too. And just like what you described in that piece that you wrote for CNN about having it is like how I felt, except I never lost my taste, Mm. which meant I kept eating all along. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You just like you have a sense of how precarious the world is. Yeah. Like I was worried that I was getting my husband sick too as well. I think that he just got it and never got sick. But you know, you worry about all of the rest of your family, whether you're exposed or not. Like if I got sick, my parents who are in their 80s are definitely gonna get sick. And then, you know, what's gonna happen with the world and the world just all shut down. You know, even getting the vaccine, I had like a little, you know, it kind of came back. Oh yeah. Right. And that was scary too. I was like, Oh yeah you know, you just feel that same kind of fear again. But like, how do you think that after you went through it, you wrote a book, you decided to leave CNN. Like, how did that like manifest itself in you?
0: For me, I think on this continuum that was Brooke Baldwin becoming more and more, dropping more and more into herself and showing up as herself in what I was talking about and how I felt and the stories we were choosing. um, And also just like my my appearance, I think that after I had COVID and I wrote that CNN.com essay and it got so much attention in a way that I was not at all expecting in the most lovely way possible. That I photo line you lying,
1: on, lying over the couch. It's so good. That's my
0: point. Like the photo of me lying over the couch. Like I just was like, God, that's who I am. And that's what my experience was. And I, when I saw how many people, how that resonated with so many people, that was like another layer of, okay, okay. Like I'm going to show you a little bit more of who I am. And that then was another, unintentional delineation line of showing more and more of me Mm -hmm. after that, you know? And then it was like, as silly as this sounds that entire summer at CNN, you know, we were all doing our own hair and makeup because of the pandemic. And I was showing up and going to the office and I am horrendous with the curling iron. And I really don't even know how to do makeup. Like you would think after all these years in TV, I would, but I really don't. And just even wearing less of it and, and and being able to wear clothes, not all being in these jewel tone sleeveless the dresses. Sleeve. And, like I don't, I just it just felt more, I just felt more and more me yeah. in my own skin. And, and by feeling more and more comfortable and confident, you then exude that. And it was crazy because even the last day of when I when I left, whenever that was a couple of weeks ago, and my team surprised me by playing this video of like the arc of me at CNN, starting from the very beginning when I had very dark hair, they put makeup on me a certain way. And my hair was a certain way that I didn't necessarily choose. And I, you know, spoke in a way that it almost made me, I wasn't cringing, but it just is, I've come so far from those early days of that. When you think you're supposed to act like someone else.
1: Yeah. And they are just, and they're dressing you up to be what they, what, what they're telling you. I mean, I, I'm, excited for a professional makeup artist to do my face when i like god bless do a them we love hit. them we
0: love them yeah but
1: like it's not going to be like before it's not going to be like so i look like every other right? woman yeah right yeah. like
0: i've gone are the days are of high heels and putting on all the fake shit i just don't ever want to go back to that
1: and it doesn't even look good it's just the look you're expected to see and what are men having men
0: are just like putting some stuff in their hair and putting on a tie and like why why no, don't we have to there's a little
1: pancake involved
0: there's there's some pancake but like there it's a lot longer than i'm in a chair than than some yeah. some guy yeah. you know and why do we need to put ourselves together i mean certainly like presenting ourselves professionally i'm not going to look like a slob yeah
1: but, i like that but like it doesn't have to be that like way that like no you know no and i think covid will change all of that yeah That's my hope. I think it might. All right, it's time to take a quick break. But after that, I want to talk about how 2016 and Trump changed everything. That's next on Just Something About Her with Brooke Baldwin. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, relax. Welcome back to Jessica and About Her with Brooke Baldwin, former CNN anchor and author of her new book, Huddle, How Women Unlock Their Collective Power. So we talked a little about women being pitted against each other in regards to country music and the high women, but I want to revisit that because you said while researching for your book, you found that the most successful women are the ones that band with other women. Mm -hmm. Is it just because we were talking about it or is that really the main through line you found?
0: No, that is the through line for huddling. Mm -hmm. And I think back to when I started in journalism, when I was like a cub reporter in Charlottesville, Virginia, when I was age 20, 21, and the few women who existed at that time in the newsroom who were around my same age, man, it was cutthroat. It was sharp elbows. It was, you know, I had been assigned this huge beat because I'd proven to myself in the first couple of weeks. And this gal who had maybe six months above me, my senior, mm-hmm. yanked the beat out from behind me. And I was so upset and I couldn't understand because for better or for worse, I have like huddler like blinking on my forehead. You know, I'm like, why can't we share something or, you know, if you take it for part of this time and. I can help you, you yeah. know, develop sources. Like, why can't
1: we work together instead Even of? Even when you were starting out, that was your mindset, though. Yes, uh-huh. yes.
0: And it was hard because you know I had interned at CNN and I had worked in this unit, which is now defunct. But it was this travel show, and it was a woman host, a woman correspondent, and a woman executive producer, and a woman. PA. And what year was this,
1: Bro, What year is this?
0: I was an intern at CNN in nineteen ninety eight.
1: Or nine? Uh See, I knew it. The 90s, it's a weird thing. The 90s had this like burst of like women dominating in music. And then in journalism too, there was like a little boost of it. And then it went away.
0: Yeah. I had grown up also admiring Katie Couric. And of course, Oprah. Katie Couric
1: told me about this same problem that where she would start and expect a older woman to be a mentor and find that the older woman was like, uh uh-uh. sister no. there is not room for both of us so it's you or me yes. and i'm sorry it's that way but that's the way it is
0: that is exactly what my experience
1: was yeah so she was in charlottesville you meet this woman yeah she's threatened. she's threatened she yanks
0: this beat albemarle county right she yanks this beat for me i end up covering the university of virginia for the next two years which ended up being totally fine but still i was that was my quick like early education too all right i see how some of these women are going to roll and i found myself actually really hanging out with a lot of the men me too but i uh, there were some older i say older like you know when you're 21 and you're talking to like a 32 year old like oh my god <laughs> but some of them did take me under their wing and did recognize i had like you know loud and proud ambitions and that i didn't want to be in charlottesville for the rest of my life and you know we would have these moments where i would sometimes be allowed to have wine on the downtown mall in charlottesville with these like older anchors and we'd talk about you know, husbands and men not being threatened or being threatened by power, or how old is too old to have a kid if you want to, you know, be a mother, or you know how you get that fill-in anchor position and, and the TV station. How to pitch the stories and not be talked over in the morning editorial meeting by all the men, all of that, right? Oh,
1: what what do they say? What do they say about that?
0: What they said is, and and I've heard this actually, I had this separate conversation with Hagar Shumali, who was at the National Security Council. And she was telling me actually, even during the Obama administration, some of the women did this too, where you would huddle together with some of the women and you would say, okay. Like if you have an idea and somebody tries to either stealing the idea or talking over you, you as another woman sitting at that table, you know, chime in and amplify that woman's idea and make sure it's hers yep. and it's heard and you stop the interruptions. The echo. Yeah.
1: Yes. Echo them. yes. Yes.
0: And that is something that stayed with me for a long time. But when there are so few women even sitting around the table at that time in my career, it made it very hard still. Right. Like I only really found my own huddle with women who were not threatened and would help when I would certainly raise my hand and ask for it was at CNN, Mm -hmm. but it took many, many years. And I think also because I was living in the middle of random other town, I moved to Huntington, West Virginia after Charlottesville, where, you know, I had a very lonely existence First, I signed this three-year contract. So I'm in like my young 20s anchoring this morning show. So I'm up at two in the morning. I have no life. I am dating the wrong guy. (laughs) Lovely, lovely guy, but totally the wrong guy. But he needed him. He was like my security blanket. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a huddle. Like, I don't think I ever went to happy hour until I was in my thirties because I didn't have friends like that. Um, You know, I had incredible singular women who were living all around the country, but I didn't have this collective until Honestly, like I didn't get all of the women together in my life until I was 38, 39 and about to get married. And I went, every time I say that I shudder and I say shame on me that it took me so long. But I just didn't realize the power in so many women coming together and women huddling, you know, in that in that true sense that I know you embody Jen Mary.
1: I think I was probably even older than you. I mean, I've always wanted to be supportive of other women, but I didn't realize how much I needed them, I think, until I was older and that. Why do you think that was? um, I think because you're sent signals forever that like you're supposed to be like the guys and that's not what the guys, I mean, I I had the wrong impression, totally wrong impression, that that's not what the guys did. Still what the guys do. (laughs) The guys totally yeah. on each other. The guys totally have a, their own network. Totally. They've been huddling for forever. Yeah. That's where the term comes from.
0: I'm curious with you though, Jen, like it, because you were, or you did surround yourself with so many men for so many years and mm-hmm. you thought that, okay, you couldn't, you know, huddle right. or ask for help from other women. It's like I
1: couldn't ask for help. I always wanted to be supportive of them, but I didn't think I needed any help. Right. It was a one way
0: <laughs> okay, okay. So you, you were I like, like I, good, I don't need your help. I'm good. I'm rolling solo <laughs> with the dudes because I'm the cool chick who can hang out with the guys. But at what point then did the switch flip for you where you realized, no, in fact, there is power in a huddle?
1: You know, started in Obama. Yeah. That's when I first started seeing how the things that I had kind of programmed myself to believe that, like, I don't worry about salary or titles. Other people worry about that. I'm the cool girl that just wants to get the job done. I don't worry about that kind of stuff. This is something I talked, you know, Mika Brzezinski was the one who slapped yes. me in the face on that one. <laughs> like almost <laughs> physically slapped me in the face. She yeah. was like, you were not getting paid what you are worth. Yeah. It is written all over your face. And what she said was written all over my face. This is during the 2016 campaign was disappointment, mm. heartbreak, mm. Over and over again, not getting what I want and telling myself that I didn't need it.
0: Mm. And how did you change that?
1: The next day I went into the Clinton campaign and demanded more money. I became the highest paid staffer on the Clinton campaign. Good for you. (laughs) Because I was like, I am former White House senior staff. Yep. They're like, well, we're going to pay you more. We pay, we'll be to oh, I'm sorry. Is there is there another person on this campaign that was a senior staff person in the White House? I don't believe there is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and then of course, I think like all of us, I think from what I've read from you, this is true. Like Trump winning. Yes. I think after that yes. that you started your American Woman series. Yes. Right? Exactly. And it was just exactly. like and him winning was just like, okay. <laughs> yes. If yes. that guy can win, we're playing by the wrong set of rules. Yes. And I am going to change them. And I'm going to ban with my sisters to do that because it was just like, I think we just sort of like innately all knew that is what had happened.
0: That was the delineation line. But I I go back to, you know, I was at the Women's March in Washington and covering it for CNN, you know, and having this moment, like after having you know been embedded in the Trump motorcade the day before, Mm. like literally balancing on this flatbed truck, going down, you know, Constitution as he was heading for the very first time to the White House and thinking as a woman and as a journalist, like, how could I not be? troubled and curious about what the next four years would look like. And then I'm back on the clock backstage at the women's March the next day. And and it's hard to remember back, but like, I remember at the time saying to my bosses at CNN, like, yes, raising my hand to go cover this women's March. And they, they weren't sure if there would be maybe a couple of thousand women who would show Mm -hmm. up. Like no one knew. Yeah. So half a million women, and that was Washington alone all show up and I'm backstage and I'm having, like, it was like journalistic, emotional whiplash from the day before to that day, and I'm covering all these various extraordinary women and, you know, putting microphones in their faces and talking to them about a multitude of things. But Tamika Mallory on that stage, black activist, I'll never forget. She was like,
1: now, some of you came here to protest one man. I didn't come here for that.
0: And that has stayed with me ever since, because as we have conversations like these, like, I don't want to give Donald Trump oh, I know. all the credit for the reason why I then, you know, started covering so many women and really speaking up in a way that I hadn't before. Mm-hmm. But it certainly was it was a moment for a lot of us. And I think for me, seeing I had never noticed in my 20-year career just covering 2016 and being on the back of, you know, I'm literally a Harley with bikers for Trump to you know, interviewing women old and young who wanted to see the glass ceiling shattered, to even all the young women showing up at those Bernie Sanders rallies and yeah. thinking, man, all right, like women are showing up in a way that I'd never seen before. And then, you know, in the Trump years, I just think so many women were just like, F this. This is who we are. Like, I, you know, so many women, I'm sure, who've never like bought poster board and markers and showed up on the mall and and spoken up. And that then led to it was like Women's March and then Me Too and then Time's Up and then 2018, the midterms and all those women, you know, winning both at the national and local levels and. And, you know, my hope is that it continues and continues and continues. I don't think we're going to
1: stop paying attention now. I just I just think that it's like I'm older than you, but it's like we thought we were on a path. We thought everything was going to be fine. I mean, this is my experience. Yes. I knew we had a lot to catch up with men, but I thought we were going to continue to make rounds until we did that gains until we did that. And then I was like, oh, we're not we're not making gains following their kind of path and rules. And we got to make our own way. And that's like it seems to me what the last Few years have been about but let's tell us about the process where you became anchor in the um afternoon in the two to four hour
0: so after my crazy two years of hustling and working all over the building hln cNN.com CNN international finally they unfroze those positions for CNN domestic as a, as a freelance correspondent then I started filling and anchoring as a freelancer at CNN I was gonna pay nothing
1: people think that people in television news make a ton of money and there are oh. there are a few people who do.
0: But it really takes a long time to finally make that, make that salary. And so after doing all of that and after the Roger Ailes, you know, thank goodness he wanted to have me. So I turned it back around to CNN. They finally put a ring on it. Then as the universe would have it, after all of my years of hustling, essentially only a handful of years later, as I was a correspondent, I was filling in on this one show where the anchor ended up getting fired. Oh like like this. Like nobody saw it coming. It just Who it happened. This? Rick Sanchez. Rick Sanchez was Rick. This incredibly dynamic anchor, you know, polarizing, but like was such a dynamic it was like that, is a
1: nice way to put it, Brooke. D- yeah, I, okay. He was
0: he but he was lovely. I mean, I was just this I was this young kid. He was. Yeah, he was good to me. You know okay. what I mean? But he said the things
1: you're telling me that, that. I'm telling
2: you that everybody who runs CNN is a lot like Stewart and a lot of people.
0: Who and he never should have said the things. And to imply that somehow they, uh, the people in this country who are Jewish, are an oppressed minority. And he later apologized for them. I can't see somebody not getting a job
2: somewhere
1: because they're Jewish. Not in this well, day. Well, then age. you've never been to Nebraska.
0: But nevertheless, he got fired, Jen. And the next week, like I was associated with the show because I was sort of like the go to, that was the correspondent for the show. And I, I was filling in, anchoring all over CNN, but it was really hard to break into that show. The show I was literally connected to, it mm-hmm. was just like mind boggling. And they said to me, okay, we're going to put you in that chair for the next week. Like just until like, just, we're going to figure out who we actually are going to put in that chair, you know, but yeah. we're going to keep you there just for a week. And I was sort of, I was going through my own, like, you know, this person who got getting fired and it was like this mourning process, but also couldn't believe what he, what had happened. And. Anyway, I do this job for a week and then they're like, okay, we still haven't figured it out. So like, just do it another week, do it another week and then another week and then another week and and another week. And finally, 11 years later, nearly 11 years later, there I was and was worthy. In fact, there was a moment I wrote about this in the book. He's not at CNN now, but there was an executive, a male executive, and I was at a white house correspondence dinner And you know, the way sometimes people just put like their foot in their mouth. I saw him like do this, like turn to me and he saw me, this was a handful of years ago. And he was like, you know, Brooke, he was basically outing himself saying he was not one of the ones who thought I should get that plum spot in the afternoon at age. I was, I think I'm one of the youngest, if not the youngest anchor to have a show, like 30, Mm 30, 31. And he was like, you know, I didn't think you had it in you. I didn't think you had it in you. And. I was like, what do you say to that? Yeah. Yeah, So, well, I did have it in me. So thanks for not having the faith, but hi, I've crushed it and maintained the ratings. And And, like beat
1: Fox in an hour, which is really hard to do. And yeah. 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 So I don't know. It's a tough gig. This reminds me of this phenomenon that Julia Gillard introduced me to. You know, she was the first woman prime minister of Australia. Yes. And she calls it the glass cliff, which is when women are Mm. given an opportunity but only when there's a problem. Mm -hmm. And so the odds are already against them to succeed in that leadership role. Exact same situation, yes. They did a study about women CEOs and found that basically the companies that were headed by women CEOs were not making as much money as those headed by men. But then they went Hmm. back and did some deeper research and found it was because when women get hired, they get hired when a company's in trouble this seems like the same situation and it's like, you know, I'm, you know, Robin Sprout, I'm sure you probably know Robin Sprout. She was the ABC news bureau chief for a long time for DC Mm. and the bureau chief left and she was the deputy and they were like, we're going to make you acting bureau chief. And for years and years and years as Robin is the bureau chief doing a phenomenal job for ABC news in Washington, DC, they kept looking for someone to replace her. And finally Mm. she's like, I am it.
0: Hello, I'm sitting right in front of you. Yes. I am
1: doing the job. Yes. And they finally gave it to her. And again, there's like the, you know, the twixt in between of this is how women have gotten opportunities sometimes, but like, it's not fair.
0: It's not fair and I know I don't wish my experience or how I was able to rise on anyone, but right. at least then so I ended up getting the but job got and it. I earned that I got it and I earned it every damn day for over a decade. And I'm hoping then that like by my having that position and various other women in other positions, it's like, all right, now you see it. Now we're normalizing it. And so let's keep going. Let's have more women in prime time. Let's have women right. running networks, you know, let's have women EPing morning shows. Right. Not to say Women, i mean, not like, women aren't better than men no. or anything. They just bring something different to the table and we should be having like different people sitting at the table, period. Right. We just got to like expand
1: the aperture some here.
0: It's exactly the right phrase. I worked with some absolutely outstanding men and we need men as our allies to help us with the huddle and share salaries and share little things in their contracts that they get.
1: I tell everybody when I make in and, and any job, right? yes. you have no idea. You have no idea. You Like it's really important that women tell other women what's so making. important. Like it seems weird, but yeah.
0: It's also especially awkward when like, you know, you make more and right. we're all sort of like shy and we're women, we're women. So we're like, we make this amount, but like, you know, I've worked really hard for it versus like a man would be like, yeah, what's up? This is how much I make. Yeah. So different. And I want to be more like that. Okay. We're going to do it.
1: <laughs> Perfect time to take a quick break to pay some bills so that we can make those salaries. After that, I want to hear about why you left CNN and what the process of saying goodbye has been like for you. That's next with Brooke Baldwin on Just Something About Her. For free shipping and 365 day returns. And we're back with Brooke Baldwin on Just Something About Her. So you said before it was at CNN that you learned to raise your hand and ask for help from other women. So tell us about that.
0: So I had a bunch of women, I mean, a a lot of women, some of whom are on air, some of whom are behind the scenes, pulling a lot of the most important strings to to make things happen. Mm -hmm. And I would go to them for everything from if I wanted to write a narrative on my own show and I needed sometimes like a gut check of another woman who would say to me, Brooke, like, mm, I don't know if it's worth it today. Like all these other things are going on, like hold your fire Mm -hmm. or... You're so right. In fact, I think you can punch this up a little bit more. I would literally have some of these women write the thing, or I would see some of these other women. Be cut off by a male guest or whoever it might be. And I'll text them in the commercial break instantly, like, Well done, you tried to hold your own, or I can't believe how he was talking all over you. I mean, mm-hmm. but you should see our text chains.
1: The text chains are amazing. I yeah. mean, the,
0: it's the instant acknowledgement. I see you, I hear you, I see what just happened, you know, like march on. You know, I'm a big believer in that. But equally, as I have these older and wiser CNN women, also, the younger, the the twenty somethings at CNN as well, who are so bright, who bring that energy that you know we crave. And you know, at age forty one, for me, mm-hmm. I've never become cynical, and I'm really proud of that as a journalist. But some days, you know, I've seen this kind of story before. I know how to approach this, or I've approached it this way before, mm-hmm. and it's that fresh perspective that I just massively appreciate. And I go out of my way for these younger women, always, you know, pre COVID, having my office door open whether it was an intern who'd be interning in some other part of the building, but they would want to come hang with me for the day or young women who I would then take out to dinner and we'd talk about life and I'd tell them my stories and my hustling mm-hmm. and just keeping the door open, literally and figuratively for them. And even when I announced that I was leaving CNN back in February and, and some of the, I, who I see as like really rising stars at CNN who are women. It's like Abby
1: Phillip. Exactly. I know it's really hard to talk, say goodbye to Abby. in particular. Abby, you know, texted me and she's one of a few
0: who had said essentially like, how can you go? You're the heart and soul of CNN. I mean, what a what a giant compliment. And I essentially said to her, like, I'm passing it on to you and take it. It's precious. I believe in you. And also remember that as you rise, there will be other younger Abby Phillips who come in behind you and sister, you keep that door open for them. You keep that door open for them in a way that my generation, you know, I didn't have, as you mentioned, Katie Couric said, I didn't have that older on air, you know, anchor woman mentor in my life. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why I go out of my way to help these younger women.
1: You know, when you decided, when you talked about leaving CNN, you'd said things that, you you know, wrote something like, I need to be the bravest version of myself. Mm. Like, why couldn't you be the bravest version of yourself in that job? in that role.
0: I think that I had been doing the same job, like privileged position, had an incredible platform, had a voice for over a decade and I want more. And I want to be in the deep end of storytelling. I, as much as I loved having such a variety of people to talk to, five minutes, you know, live television, you know, yeah. it flies by and then it's onto the next, onto the next, onto the next. And I had never in my life written a book. And so in going around the country in the before times and sitting with people for over an hour, and in some cases, yeah. the black judges in Houston, the women for hours over, you know, shrimp and grits in, in, in Texas. I just felt like I had the time to really ask the deeper questions and to sit in those spaces and to learn from them. Yeah. And also I think I just needed a change. Yeah. I could have sat there for 10 more years and done that exact same job and mm-hmm. made a good amount of money and been really comfortable and worn those dresses and like life <laughs> would have been good. Life would have been really good and and right. I love all of those women, you know, and men who I left behind though that's my family. But I just there was something in me and it was also this combination of writing this book and sitting, you know, in these deep spaces with these women. And then at the end yeah. of the conversations, this is when, you know, the line blurred in a way it never really did in, in live television, where I'd turn off the tape recorder and these women would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, well, now we have questions for you. You know, why are you writing this book? Who's in your huddle? What's it like to be a woman in journalism? What do you really want to do? Like once you finish doing this and it just started, churning. And and then it was really churning as we're in this pandemic and I'm writing this book and I'm really sitting with myself and I just, I was having thoughts and it was, it was like a painful, you know, when you grow, it's like a painful process of having to, yes. And it's terrifying and having to close doors that are very comfortable to you versus walking into this absolutely unknown, unchartered territory for yourself, but you also know in your gut that this is exciting and the right way to go. Yeah. And it just felt right. And I, I needed to be the boldest version of myself. And that involved leaving this place that had been my home for where I had worked virtually my entire career to land the job that I had
1: to leave it. I think there's something at our gut that kind of propels us in a direction we might not necessarily be able to articulate Yes, what it is we expect that we're going to do or why, but you just kind of feel it. Like after Hillary yes. lost, I was like, I took a couple consulting jobs. But, like, you know, I was just kind of the sense, like, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. Robin Sproul, the aforementioned Robin Sproul, came yep. to me and pushed me first. She was like, you need to write a book. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. I don't have permission to do that. Mm, and I couldn't imagine permission. after having had that process of writing Dear Man President of, like, kind of going back to, like, I just didn't mm. feel like I fit in anywhere. Mm. I had the sense that like, it was better to hang back and kind of maybe build something on my own, but I I didn't feel like I was going to fit back into my old life, which is a little scary. And, you know, then you're like sort of cast off like, well, what am I? Yes, And you got to figure that out.
0: Yes. Which is why I'm sitting on an Island talking to you, you know, (laughs) first stop, just, just, I need to like shed some of the shit and sit with myself and, Start that process of finding that next thing. But yeah, you've been there.
1: But I have a theory for you about why you had to leave CNN. Okay, (laughs) tell me. I don't know that they would ever get you. They would ever like truly appreciate you because the freelance that you have to prove yourself, and then we're going to put you in the anchor job, but we're not going to give you the title. And then they finally did, but you know you probably weren't going to be able to be the like biggest, best version of yourself in a place that didn't really value you and see you and get you from the start.
0: Shruggy, shruggy (laughs) emoji. Yes, Brooke Baldwin. Shruggy emoji.
1: Well, I am super excited for you that you wrote. I mean, you wrote the book first and then you decided to leave. Yeah, the book
0: happened like two years prior. It all was a total coincidence that my contract was up in April and that we had set this pub date two years prior, also in April. So bizarre. But the universe is a funny thing.
1: Well, I'm super excited that you wrote the book. Thank you. That you've decided to leave you know there'll be like some scary times but like you're totally on your way and i'm super excited for you and i'm super excited to see what you do next
0: i'm getting your phone number and we're gonna text and we're like jen i'm having a moment okay having a terrifying moment it is
1: like yeah where's my net where's my home where are my people you know all of that so i do i am here i do yeah (laughs) let's huddle thank you let's huddle we're gonna do it we're gonna do it let's huddle jen are you there i'm here so fun right
2: very fun i know you guys love bonding over brandy carlisle (laughs) this is
1: true this is true but just like she's so alive (laughs) yeah and so enthusiastic and so ready for the next step you know like she felt (laughs) like
2: so amped and so ready
1: and a little scared a little scared too but that's okay that's part of growing like if you ain't scared you're not doing something worthwhile But you could just see like how muted she had been in that anchor chair for a long time. It's great to see her, see all of Brooke.
2: Yeah, definitely. Also, you know, she had been through the local news circuit, as I like to call it. (laughs) You love the local local news (laughs) I love when we have, yep. Because I also went through that. And I felt very pitted against the other women Mm. because it was a lot about our looks and the way we sounded. You know, you're kind of looking your peripherals at the other women. How do they dress? How do they speak? You know, how can I do better than them? So it kind of pits you against each other. And I actually was fortunate enough to have a mentor at some of my local news stations that were women, but I can totally see how the men, they're more confident. They have less to worry about on a daily basis. They have way less to Um, worry about. And so they're more available to be mentors. So that really resonated um, with me as well. And I think one of the best takeaways from this conversation is just how much she felt like she had to hustle to get her jobs in both local news and CNN, yeah. you know, doing all of this work on a freelance basis, raising her hand whenever there was an opportunity, ready to do any work, even if it was, you know, bullshit, not paid, overworking her. Mm-hmm. Her solution was we need more women in power to recognize that that is a skill set and to actually value it and pay women what right. they're worth for stepping up. But like some part of me also thinks it's like we need to say no sometimes, too.
1: I think that's right. And I think that, you know, the fact that we're talking about it means women are going to start doing it. Right. None of this stuff happens in a vacuum. And I certainly say with uh, younger people in general in the workforce, I think they look at somebody my age and be like, that woman worked really hard her whole life. And it like worked out OK, but like that's not enough for me. I want to have a life. I want to be paid better. I want higher quality of life. And I think that they are demanding it. And I do think that it can't just be any woman who's in a leadership position. It's got to be a woman who recognizes. Yeah, exactly.
2: Who isn't like, I did this my whole life and therefore right. you have to do it your whole life. Yeah, I feel like we got a lot of that. That's not good
1: because there can be some of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that is not what we need. What you need is a woman who understands supporting other women is like part of the puzzle. It's like a big missing piece of the puzzle.
2: Yeah. And as women, we need to recognize, like, you know, catch ourselves. Now that we're talking about this, we need to catch when we're doing that, when we're raising our hand and not getting paid what we're worth and be like, okay, I will do this, but I need. To be promoted, I need to get paid more,
1: and then women, older women have to back that up. yeah back that up. um, mm-hmm. but you know, the big takeaway for me, though, Sarah, mm-hmm. is walking away, yeah. when I said, like you left because you thought you could never be appropriately valued in a place that never valued you from the start. And she was just the silence I thought spoke yeah. spoke so a lot, brave. but you know, I said, even though she did great, she had high ratings. Mm-hmm. she was super well liked. I know that her colleagues have seen it all adore her. You know, she realized it wasn't enough. And I just this is a really big deal for women. I think we really have a hard time walking away. Mm -hmm. But I'm really glad that we tackled that subject because I think we haven't talked a lot about it. And I do think it paralyzes that kind of fear, Yeah, paralyzes a lot of women, keeps them in jobs they should not be
2: in. Yeah. And I like that you're going to be the support system for Brooke moving forward. She's going to text you. It's,
1: it's like, it's great to be brave and take that jump. But then I know there's a lot of pa- panic days that follow yeah. and days where it feels like it's not working out. And, you know, that's when I'll be coaching her and encouraging her, you know, to like look, look back at where you were before, how much she's accomplished. She's going to find something new and exciting to do that's going to be worth her time. I just got to keep Yeah, you just need people that.
2: to keep reminding you.
1: You do. You <laughs> do. You just really do. It's important. This is just something about her, a podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. Thank you to Brooke Baldwin for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Stephanie Stender is our post producer. Sari Soffer is our producer, and Christian Castro-Rosell is our executive producer.